Chapter 8 of Murder in the Gunroom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Murder in the Gunroom by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 8. Pre-dinner cocktails in the library seemed to be a sort of household rite, a self-imposed truce of Bacchus before the resumption of hostilities in the dining room. It lasted from 6.45 to 7. Everybody sipped Manhattans and kept quiet and listened to the radio newscast. The only new face, to Rand, was Fred Dunmore's. It was a smooth, pinkly-shaven face, decorated with octagonal rimless glasses. An entirely unremarkable face, the face of the type that used to be labeled Babbitt. The corner of Rand's mind that handled such data subconsciously filed his description. Forty-five to fifty, one-eighty, five feet eight, hair brown and thinning, eyes blue. To this he added the Rotarian button on the lapel and the small gold globule on the watch chain that testified that, when his age and weight had been considerably less, Dunmore had played on somebody's basketball team. At that time he had probably belonged to the YMCA and had thought that Mussolini was doing a splendid job in Italy, that H. L. Mencken ought to be deported to Russia, and that Prohibition was here to stay. At company sales meetings, he probably radiated an aura of synthetic good fellowship. As Rand followed Walters down the spiral from the gunroom, the radio commercial was just starting, and Geraldine was asking Dunmore where Anton was. Oh, you know, Dunmore told her impatiently. He had to go to Lewisburg, to that medical association meeting. He's reading a paper about the new diabetic ration. He broke off as Rand approached and was introduced by Gladys, who handed both men their cocktails. Then the news commentator greeted them out of the radio, and everybody absorbed the day's news along with their Manhattans. After the broadcast, they all crossed the hall to the dining room, where hostilities began almost before the soup was cool enough to taste. "'I don't see why you women had to do this,' Dunmore huffed. "'Rivers had made us a fair offer.' Bringing in an outsider will only give him the impression that we lack confidence in him. Well, won't that be just too, too bad, Geraldine slashed at him. We mustn't ever hurt dear Mr. Rivers' feelings like that. Let him have the collection for half what it's worth, but never, never let him think we know what a goddamn crook he is. Dunmore evidently didn't think that worth dignifying with an answer. Doubtless, he expected Nelda to launch a counteroffensive as a matter of principle. If he did, he was disappointed. Well, Nelda demanded, what did you want us to do? Give the collection away? You don't understand, Dunmore told her. You probably heard somebody say what the collection's worth, and you never stop to realize that it's only worth that to a dealer who can sell it item by item. We expect a lot more than $10,000, Nelda retorted. In fact, we can expect more than that from Rivers. Colonel Rand was talking to Rivers this afternoon. Colonel Rand doesn't have any confidence in Rivers at all, and he doesn't care who knows it. You were talking to Arnold Rivers this afternoon about the collection? Dunmore demanded of Rand. That's right, Rand confirmed. I told him his $10,000 offer was a joke. Stephen Gresham and his friends can top that out of one pocket. Finally, he got around to admitting that he's willing to pay up to 25000 I don't believe it, Dunmore exclaimed angrily. Rivers told me personally that neither he nor any other dealer could hope to handle that collection profitably at more than 10000 And you believe that? Nelda demanded. And you're a businessman? 
My God! He's probably a good one as long as he sticks to pancake flour, Geraldine was generous enough to concede. But about guns, he barely knows which end the bullet comes out. Ten thousand was probably his idea of what we'd think the pistols were worth. Dunmore ignored that and turned to Rand. Did Arnold Rivers actually tell you he'd pay $25,000 for the collection? he asked. I can't believe that he'd raise his own offer like that. He didn't raise his offer. I threw it out and told him to make one that would be taken seriously. Rand repeated as closely as he could his conversation with the arms dealer. When he had finished, Dunmore was frowning in puzzled displeasure. And you think he's actually willing to pay that much? Yes, I do. If he handles them right, he can double his money on the pistols inside of five years. I doubt if you realize how valuable those pistols are. You probably defined Mr. Fleming's collection as a hobby, and therefore something not to be taken seriously. And aside from the actual profit, the prestige of handling this collection would be worth a good deal to Rivers, as advertising. I haven't the least doubt that he can raise the money or that he's willing to pay it. Dunmore was still frowning. Maybe he hated being proved wrong in front of the women of the family. And you think Gresham and his friends will offer enough to force him to pay the full amount? Rand laughed and told him to stop being naive. He's done that himself, and what's more, he knows it. When he told me he was willing to go as high as 25000 he fixed the price. Unless somebody offers more, which isn't impossible. But maybe he's just bluffing. Dunmore seemed to be following Gwinnett's line of thought. After he's bluffed Gresham's crowd out, maybe he'll go back to his original 10000 offer. Fred, please stop talking about that $10,000, Geraldine interrupted. How much did Rivers actually tell you he'd pay? 25000 like he did Colonel Rand? Dunmore turned in his chair angrily. Now look here, he shouted. There's a limit to what I've got to take from you. He stopped short, as Nelda beside him moved slightly, and his words ended in something that sounded like a smothered moan. Rand suspected that she had kicked her husband painfully under the table. Then Walters came in with the meat course, and firing ceased until the butler had retired. By the way, Rand tossed into the conversational vacuum that followed his exit, does anybody know anything about a record Mr. Fleming kept of his collection? Why, no, can't say I do, Dunmore replied promptly, evidently grateful for the change of subject. You mean like an inventory? Oh, Fred, you do, Nelda told him impatiently. You know that big gray book father kept all his pistols entered in? It was a gray ledger with a black leather back, Gladys said. He kept it in a little bookcase over the workbench in the gunroom. I'll look for it, Rand said. Sure it's still there? It would be a big help to me. The rest of the dinner passed in relative tranquility. The conversation proceeded in fairly safe channels. Dunmore was anxious to avoid any further reference to the sum of $10,000. When Gladys introduced Rand to talk about his military experiences, he lapsed into preoccupied silence. Several times Geraldine and Nelda aimed half-hearted feline swipes at one another, more out of custom than present and active rancor. The women seemed to have erected a temporary tree party, en temps more or less cordial. Finally, the meal ended, and the diners drifted away from the table. Rand went to his room for a few moments, then went to the gunroom to get the notes he had made. 
Fred Dunmore was using the private phone as he entered. "'Well, never mind about that now,' he was saying. "'We'll talk about it when I see you.' "'Yes, of course. So am I. Well, say about eleven. Be seeing you.' He hung up and turned to Rand. "'More goddamn union trouble,' he said. "'It's enough to make a saint lose his religion. "'Our factory hands are organized in the CIO, "'and our warehouse sales and shipping personnel are in the AF of L. "'And if they aren't fighting the company, they're fighting each other. "'Now they have some damn kind of jurisdictional dispute. "'I don't know what this country's coming to.' "'He glared angrily through his octagonal glasses for a moment. "'Then his voice took on an ingratiating note. Look here, Colonel, I just didn't understand the situation until you explained it. I hope you aren't taking anything that sister-in-law of mine said seriously. She just blurts out the first thing that comes into her so-called mind. Why, only yesterday she was accusing Gladys of bringing you into this to help her jip the rest of us. And before that... Oh, forget it. Rand dismissed Geraldine with a shrug. I know she was talking through a highball glass. As far as selling the collection is concerned, you just let Rivers sell you a bill of something you hadn't gotten a good look at. He's a smart operator, and he's crooked as a wagon load of black snakes. Maybe you never realized just how much money Fleming put into this collection. Naturally, you wouldn't realize how much could be gotten out of it again. A lot of this stuff has been here quite a while, and antiques of any kind tend to increase in value. Well, I want you to know that I'm just as glad as anybody if you can get a better price out of him than I could. Dunmore smiled ruefully. I guess he's just a better poker player than I am. Not necessarily. He could see your hand and you couldn't see his, Rand told him. You going to see Gresham and his friends this evening? Dunmore asked. Well, when you get back, if you find four cars in the garage, counting the station wagon, lock up after you put your own car away. If you find only three, then you'll know that Anton Varsik's still out, so leave it open for him. That's the way we do here. Last one in locks up. End of chapter 8